I guess I started realizing that something was wrong when people at work were being like funny about flying, masks, hand sanitizer, didn't want to travel. I want to say it was a Wednesday, and then we drive back to Michigan that Saturday. We actually never ended up going back to our apartment, which is crazy. And then I remember the NBA season was canceled mid-game. Um, all these restaurants started closing, and I was like, oh man, I like, need to get home before they shut down the airports. Of course, that never happened. I was sitting with like one creative that sat next to me and I was I turned to him and I was like I feel like we're at the beginning part of the movie where it either nothing happens or it turns extremely south like we're at the point right now where we're where normally I would be like you guys go home get out of there what are you doing but you and I are sitting here like this is probably not a big deal still at the office and we're those people in that movie where then everything's gonna go south the next day they were like don't come in and then everything happened and it was crazy i oh i got it and i got covid like that second too like i got it like i'm an early adopter so (laughs) on this very special episode of gray matter rather than hearing stories from a founder an inventor or a creator we're hearing from the people of gray new york because today we're featuring an idea from within the walls of Gray. Gray is an advertising agency, a creative company made up of people who love ideas, who create things that draw people closer to our clients, ideas that change culture and spark conversation. And creating an advertising has never been a solo act. Our version of creativity has always been collaborative, gathering in teams, trying things on, taking them back, pushing ideas around until you have something. And yet the pandemic has taken us away from each other. To be collaborative and brave enough to get to the best ideas requires a sense of psychological safety. And that comes from trusting people. And that trust comes from knowing them. The pressure of what we do can often turn advertising agencies and the teams within them into giant friend groups. And that has been the case at Gray for a lot of people for a long time. But like most companies, ours has changed dramatically over the last 20 months. Many of the people we work with are new in the pandemic. So how do we forge those connections again? How do we build trust? How do we get to know each other and especially know each other's humanity and creativity? How do we connect when our interactions are transactional and this whole experience has got us burning out? What you're about to hear today is part of a project called Six Feet Over. It's designed to introduce and reintroduce us to each other by spotlighting our individual journeys in this strange moment in history the COVID pandemic. Six Feet Over is a collection of artifacts, images, writing samples, moments, objects, and stories connecting us in the time we went away. Each of the almost 400 submissions comes from a person at Gray New York, reflecting our feelings, our realities, and the world surrounding us during this pandemic. Collated, they create a work of art that captures our lives since March of 2020 that provides a glimpse into the humanity we have missed in each other. The curator behind Six Feet Over is Denise O'Blenis. Denise has been with Gray since 1977. This is her first job in advertising, and she has seen Gray change and evolve over the years into what it is today. In her role as an executive art director, she leads new business projects and works with almost every client at Gray. She is passionate about creativity and the people who make it. Denise is creating a live art installation in our gallery space from the submissions and stories of the people at Gray. She's also led the design of a six feet over book that's currently out to print. 
Denise is here to tell us a little more about how and why this project came to be. Hi, Denise. Hi, John. Happy to be here. Uh, well, really happy to have you here. So tell us the story how you came up with the idea for the Six Feet Over project and, and why did you want to do this? The honest answer is because I was lonely. I desperately missed my work family and thought how amazing it would be to bring us all together so that we could actually share bits and pieces of each other's lives during this time that we were all away from each other. That's a great reason. And I think this really... Um, this really does that and captures it and I think is, is bringing people together just in the process. And I know in the exhibit itself and the book and everything that you're doing is going to do that. I know as part of the idea, all the submissions are anonymous. And why'd you do it that way? I think we felt it would be easier for folks and allow them to be a little bit more revealing and more intimate and honest and emotional. And do you think that happened from the anonymity? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, <laughs> we uh, got some things that I just was shocked and amazed. Well, tell me, what's your favorite thing about this project? I think allowing folks to actually reveal little glimpses of their life that they might never have shared otherwise. It's the thing that we always talk about here. It's the water cooler talk or the meeting between the meeting conversation. It's the interaction between people. And I got to have that. It was pretty amazing just to be connected again. Yeah, I think we've all missed that. And it's nice that it's starting to happen again. And this project is part of that. So that's what we've learned about the place and through the process. But what did you learn about yourself during the pandemic? I, I learned how much I need my people. I know it sounds funny, but I really just need these crazy ass folks that have always surrounded me because they just, they inspire me. They make me laugh. They make me whole. What did you do without them? What did you do without them during the pandemic? What did you do to try to fill that hole? I took a lot of, lot of walks. I read a lot of books. I did a lot of me time and I realized I'm not a me time person. I really <laughs> am not. I'm a people person and that's, that's where I get my fuel. Yeah, you're definitely a people person, Denise. Everyone loves you and everyone loves working with you. So thank you for this project. What we're about to hear is a sampling of just some of the stories within Six Feet Over, told anonymously from the people of Gray, New York. And it paints a picture of a time full of uncertainty, adversity, and loss, as well as new beginnings, joy, and creativity. But more than anything, it's a story of humanity. And this is Six Feet Over. Yeah, so my submission. So I submitted. So for my six feet my over, six feet so over submission. I for my submission. Well, my submission is a, a quote from Nelson Mandela that I wrote on a post-it and pasted in a window in front of me so I can look at it every day. And, and the quote from, from Nelson, it says like, there is no passion in, to be found in settling for a life that is less than the life that you are capable of living through COVID, like I'm sure most of us, you know, we went through a lot of um, ups and downs. And it was kind of a daily reminder, like, hey, we are giving one life, not two, not three, right? And COVID made us realize that. I sent in two masks. What was cool about these masks was the material used uh, was sewn together from various leftover spools of 
uh, miscellaneous fabrics, including the muslin that was used for the straps of the mask were actually left over from our chuppah, which is the Jewish ceremonial canopy that we used at our wedding. Each material and fabric had its own cool little backstory. And honestly, it was the first like sense of safety that I felt during the entire pandemic. The piece that I submitted is sort of made up of hundreds of images. And the whole thing I called confined compositions. And it's sort of a conversation between me and the inanimate objects that I was surrounded with for eight months. <laughs> it's basically just household items rearranged and or like juxtaposed uh, together to make little quick compositions. And then I started to realize that when you paired them up or you just put a bunch together, they kind of got more exciting. So I spent a lot of time just grabbing everything around the room and mixing and matching. That was kind of the most exciting part of the pandemic for me. There was very little outlets. During the despair of being alone, the things in front of me, like an orange peel and a garlic clove, were my creativity. <laughs> I got into ceramics um, for the first time and I found that that was a really fresh way for me to sort of unlock realms of my creativity that I didn't realize had been dormant. It was very intimidating to like look at a block of clay and have no rules and be like, you know, why am I so afraid of starting or doing anything? Like there's no wrong way to do things. Um, and I was like, you know, I haven't felt that way since I was a kid and like doing ceramics or any art projects as a kid. And so then I sort of found myself um, creating these ceramic succulents and cacti as somebody who has a terrible time keeping any sort of plants alive. I came up with the idea to make unkillable plants. And so that was my submission, one of my cute little ceramic succulents. So for six feet over, the, the thing that I submitted were wooden spoons. Carving spoons was, was the thing that I really started kind of taking on during the pandemic, just trying to keep my hands busy and trying to fill the voids of time that we all of a sudden were, were met with. And it helped time pass. It helped us like to remove a bit of... Uh, fear and despair and it only cost me 16 stitches and almost my uh, pointer finger on my left hand but it's, it's been a fun thing and I think I've made over 40 spoons now since the pandemic started. The reason I, I pursued a creative career in the first place was to make things. Like I, gr I grew up on a cattle and tobacco farm and you know you would work on things and you could see the work that you'd completed at the end of the day. We don't always get that luxury uh, in the world of advertising. Like sometimes, you know, it's a it's a slow drip, and you have a hard time kind of seeing 
seeing the progress you've made day in and day out. And what this helped me to do was get back to the, the, those roots of making where like, you know, you set yourself up with the, the tools and the supplies you need and, and you complete a job. And there's a, there's such a satisfaction in that at the end of the day to like, you know, to know that you've made something with your hands. It was just something that I've, I've missed for a long time. My daughter has been very, very involved in a performing arts studio. I had had a pretty good relationship with some of the staff and certainly the, the, the leadership there, the owner, and had offered my willingness to, to get in and, and, and help them with some marketing materials before. So I had, I, I had had a relationship, but in the midst of COVID, I wanted to really be in a position to extend myself to continue to help because I knew I knew how important it was going to be to keep the studio going. I helped do the playbills and would spend hours on the weekend designing these ads and spreads. In addition to me feeling honestly really great that I was able to do this for the kids, it was so therapeutic for me. Um, it wasn't about it being perfect or beautiful or like up to the standards I think we're used to when it comes to design. It was about celebrating those kids and celebrating the studio for keeping on. It was awesome for me. I honestly don't know what I would have done with my time on some of those really dark, cold, gloomy weekends if I hadn't been immersed for six, seven hours at a time creating page after page of Playbill material. Yes, so it was the weekend after DMX died. Um, and I think we were really inundated with death. And this was just like the culmination of someone that we were just sad that died too soon. So um, me and a few of my friends came up with the idea that we were going to get him flowers. His memorial happened to be on the same block that my friend lived. So we purchased like, I think two bouquets of blue flowers and candles, and we laid them at his memorial site um, in front of his mural. And my friend took a picture of me and as I was walking from it, the picture was like super blurry, but like DMX was in focus. And um, it just really made me think about how blurry life is right now. <laughs> it was just as blurry as I was in that photo. Um, so that's why I submitted it. So there, coronavirus wasn't getting a lot of coverage in Miami. And as someone who had a pretty severe case of COVID in March of 2020, this was really bothering me. So local news wasn't really covering it. National news was kind of saying, oh, look at Florida doing all these dumb things. So I decided to make a Twitter page that was kind of all straight to the facts, all COVID in Miami, all COVID in Florida. Where can you get your vaccine? What are the vaccine side effects to consider? Um, things of that nature. But it ended up growing pretty big. I have about 500 followers now. Um, good debate in the comments sometimes. And uh, I think it's a really good educational tool for South Floridians. My six feet over submission was a photo. Uh, it was taken during my daily walks. And it was a picture of a bottle of champagne inside of a baby car seat. I felt like it truly captured what was going on a lot during the lockdown which consisted of alcohol consumption and baby making. <laughs> I uh, submitted a photo of me proposing to my now fiance at the New York Aquarium out in Coney Island. 
when we moved to Seattle, which we did during the pandemic, uh, one of the first things we did was sign up to be members at the Seattle Aquarium. We knew that we needed a little escape and it happened to be one of the few things that was still open. So that became our kind of our, our weekly date night. We would once a week go down to the aquarium, explore, see our, our favorite critters. We'd go and visit them all the time and the aquarium just became a really special place for us. So when I was thinking of where I would propose to him in New York, it had to happen there. And I ended up asking him to marry me in the shark tank. I had submitted the black and white visual um, that a friend of mine who is an art director created, which is a black outline of a black man with his arms up, hands up against a white background. And that pretty much captured the entire feeling of in one single visual reference that um, kind of fueled me throughout the entire pandemic while we've been kind of on lockdown because it really focused my attention on the pandemic of COVID and the pandemic of racial injustice, particularly with the violence against Black people, Black men, Black bodies. I think the biggest part of the pandemic for a lot of people was learning more about yourself and learning more about the issues that are going on and in the world because it was it gave it gave a platform almost with social media being such a huge part of the pandemic because everybody was sitting at home and, and educating themselves on all these things with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything with LGBTQ plus and a lot a lot of issues and, and protests. I think I found some humanity in really just educating myself and, and getting to learn more about all these problems that are going on in the world that I was pretty naive to. How did I find some calm in the chaos? Well, <laughs> reconnecting, I would say, was the, the most beneficial thing. The thing that I noticed the most is, you know, once we got past the first month and a half or so and people started going outdoors a little bit more freely, what I noticed is that people were kinder. People were more open. The humanity came back into, into our country and came back into our world in a way that was very uniform. Many of us just lose touch because we're all going in our own work streams and we just stop thinking about other people. And I think it brought us all back because we were all suffering in the same way. We all had the same level of vulnerability at the same time. And I think it just brought the world together. Um, so when quarantine started, my roommate and I, who both work at Gray, wanted to get outside in some way and realized that we could climb up the fire escape and kind of hop over the ledge and be on the roof that was right above our unit. And a little bit of a saving grace, too, because the apartment that we were living in, we loved, but was very cozy. And I'm talking like 300 square feet of cozy. Christmas, we hung up a bunch of lights. We were up there in the snow having hot toddies. We would tan up there when it was warm out, which it was almost all the time. And it was just interesting the way that that space felt so different depending on the day, but was very consistent. You know, I know everybody was stir crazy, but I think we really would have struggled staying inside that long. And it was a way of 
not only like getting that fresh air, but also feeling a little more connected to an outside world, even though we weren't really seeing anyone else besides just the two of us. Right before we moved out, we had um, a like final birthday party on the roof where we actually did invite like 20 people up there. The next day woke up to signs on every door in the building. <laughs> we're like, no one is allowed to have people on the roof. No one is allowed on the roof. But it was the perfect send off. Yeah, it was like right before we moved, we were like, well, we're good, it's fine. And then they were like, you've never been allowed up here. It's not legal to be up here. And we were like, oh, well, sorry. We, we loved that time. I think obviously there was so much scariness but looking back, I'll, I'll think of those months extremely fondly. I love the extra time with my family as well. And when you are together for so such a frequent amount of time, you, you try to get creative. Uh, <laughs> and we started just putting on costumes in the house and acting out stories. So I was a Captain America. Uh, my son loves Black Panther and my daughter, I think she had like the Hulk on, which is hilarious to see her in that costume. There's just a beautiful spot along the water where uh, the, the reeds are there. The sun would always come up right in the middle of it. And what amazed me was just during the pandemic, everything was quiet. Everything was so pure, and every morning, the sky was different. I decided to take a, a picture every day for the Six Feet Over project. And, you know, that little morning routine, that little morning ritual for me, uh, helped me personally power on. One thing that I love to do is writing for uh, Dungeons & Dragons. I'm a huge fan. And even though I didn't play as much during the pandemic, I was able to write a bunch of awesome characters and backstories and as a writer it kind of allows you to have some freedom and flex in that way and kind of jump into a new character it's a little bit of escapism too as i was exploring digital design platforms i got a chance to really play and i got a whole new appreciation for the design process i would say the thinness right or thickness of a single line really matters, right? You get so invested in, in that which you are making. And I think that's what helps make work amazing. If only because there is real healing in creativity and expressing yourself or expressing a moment through something that is creative versus purely logic. Uh, our building was across the street from a huge housing complex. And I think one of the people that lived in there must have been a DJ who brought his equipment home when like the club he worked at shut down or whatever. But at 7 p.m. every night, he played Living on a Prayer and everyone sang it on the street together. And so we would go up to the roof and you could hear it and people would be banging the stuff but singing Living on a Prayer. And like those first few notes starting, you would hear that and be like, oh, it's time because what a great song for that moment. Well, as with many, this year has been a dark one. <laughs> Most impactful, however, is that I was able to marry my sister-in-law to her longtime boyfriend of 15 years. 
Uh, I happened to marry them in a relatively um, dismal environment, actually, in the hospital um, the day before my mother-in-law passed. Um, and it was a moment filled of little sparks of light where the sun was coming through the window and shining on my sister-in-law and her now husband while staring at my ailing mother-in-law. Um, but somehow um, it was truly the extremes of the human condition, right? Uh, extraordinary joy mixed with extraordinary sadness. And I would imagine to a degree um, that some made many, many people's experience over the last year and a half. So I um, count my lucky stars for the blessings I have um, and that I was able to participate in, in what is, I hope, going to be a long-remembered day for the good, um, but sadly surrounded with a, a lot of sadness, too. I'm trying to stay hopeful. <laughs> What I learned about myself during the pandemic is I am more resilient than I gave myself credit for. I learned how much I loved people. I am a native New Yorker, so we just have like a chip on our shoulders. But sitting in your room alone day after day and not going out really makes you appreciate people. I'm the type of person where yeah, I stay calm and, and watch and, and pray. I really believe in prayer. So the biggest thing I learned about myself is that I'm stronger than I give myself credit, stronger than I'm realized. I suck at balancing the act of living <laughs> and really having priorities when it comes to, you know, I will say life balance. Whatever life turns into next, uh, I am very grateful to have had uh, the support and the love of, of everyone I work with and everyone I know and all my friends and I'll call them my family. This experience has just really fortified the relationships with my family and my friends and my co-workers. Um, we've had to endure a lot and shift the way we've worked professionally. I'm thankful to Gray and the spaces, the safe spaces that they've created for everyone during this trying time. My daughter, who just turned eight, by the way, for her trying to experience this whole thing through her eyes was um, actually really good perspective. She didn't care that she had to wear a mask. She didn't care that she was somehow missing out on things that she didn't realize she was missing out on. She just had this constant ability to adapt and to normalize it. Often when I saw it, it just didn't get to her. It didn't get to her, which is extraordinary. So I think she just reminded me that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, when you have your family and the most important things like education continues, play continues, even though it looks different. You just get original and you get creative and you you make the best of it. And she did way better than I did. <laughs> God bless her. Great.
Gray New York has existed and thrived for 104 years. In wars and pandemics, it has made and remade itself through the people on board to drive it to its next place. We are part of a great legacy of survival. Thank you for listening. To see more of our Six Feet Over project, the visual collection of stories or excerpts from the book, visit Gray's Instagram. Thank you to everyone who contributed to the project in some way to tell their stories. And thanks to the team who brought this project to life. Justine Armour, Alexa Papaduke, Christina Hyde, John Jenkinson, Liz McGovern, Han Lin, Nicole Garcia, Debbie Joyce, James McPherson, Hilary Barletta, Kate Rupert, Brandon Solis, Guy Rosemarin, Leland Drake, Amanda Fuentes, Ned Martin, Kevin McManus, Danielle Hunt, and Joey Scarillo. And again, thanks to Denise O'Blenis. Reach out to us with questions and comments on Gray's social channels or email address podcasts at gray.com. To hear the stories of how creators, founders, and inventors thought up their best ideas, check out our full catalog at Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas. And lastly, tell someone about our show. And thanks for listening to Gray Matter. Gray Matter is hosted by John Petrullis, produced by Danielle Hunt and senior producer Joey Scarillo, mixed by Guy Rosemarin at Gramercy Park Studios with post-production support from Ned Martin and Robin Frank. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Ryan Cunningham. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.